Welcome to the Synergist Podcast, the most man-centered theology podcast on the internet by God's providence. I'm Thomas, and today I have the distinct pleasure of interviewing Dan Kent, author (laughs) author of the forthcoming book, Confident Humility, How to Become Your Full Self Without Becoming Full of Yourself. Uh, so it sounds like a book that I, I needed to read. Um, Dan is also the general editor of Renew.org, the blog and podcast of Pastor Greg Boyd, as well as a host of other things. So Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with us. Thomas, thank you so much, man. This is great. It is it is our pleasure. So uh, Dan, you and I, we met initially on Twitter, um, and then we became <laughs> Facebook friends, and then we actually had a chance to meet up uh, just a few weeks ago when I was up vis- uh, visiting Minnesota. So it's... Uh, it's Man, cool that was way. so fun. That was great. <laughs> it was a ton of fun. Um, a ton of fun. We got to hang out. Actually, uh, so I want to tell a sort of a funny story. We, uh, we got together, uh, we chatted a little bit on the podcast that you host, and then um, you invited me out for a beer. Um, and I was like, oh, hey, cool. You know, maybe he listens to the podcast. He knows I drink beer. Maybe he's into beer too, right? Um, and so we get to this little uh, place that has pizza and beer. Um, and so, t- Dan, just tell everybody a little bit about, about the, the beer that you ordered and, and, you know, and how much you liked it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty gross, man. I did not like it. Well, and even the beers that I like, I don't really drink a lot of it. So I sort of get teased a lot for being a lightweight. So, yeah. In fact, even right now, it, I don't know if this is the time when I'm supposed to say what I'm drinking. Go for it. What are you but, drinking? Ah, oh, dude, I'm so I feel I feel ashamed, but I'm drinking a Lining Kugel's Honey Vice. Hey, hey, it's, this is no judgment zone. Okay, all right, because you guys always are drinking like fancy beers and brewed (laughs) beers that are brewed by some monk on a mountain in the backwoods of some Asian empire or something, and here I am with my lining kugels, so... You, you know what? The, the number one rule of, of beer is drink what you like. We are beer connoisseurs, but we're not beer snobs, so... uh that's good. And, you know, and at least it, you know, it could be worse, right? I mean, it could be like Miller Lite or, or Natty Lite or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, th- I thought it was pretty funny. You, you ordered um, sort of, you, you asked the difference between a pale ale and a uh, cider. And so yeah. I thought, you know, oh, this guy asked me out for a beer, even though he doesn't drink very much. I thought that was very, <laughs> very hospitable of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and then you bought. So, you know, hey. Well, hey, hey, uh, don't, don't spread that, you know. Just... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I bought. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Kent will buy you pizza and beer if you, uh, or, or wings and beer in this case yeah uh, I, I i won't oh I, I said it i said wings and beer i do i need to edit that out in case you're well <laughs> it's probably too late now so <laughs> I, I i really i only had one sweetie. <laughs> sweetie i only had one. <laughs> oh, i was not supposed to say anything i failed already um i legitimately can edit that out if you want me to later dan just tell me no, uh, no that's okay all righty <laughs> uh well i i'm drinking um uh, you know, since you called me out on, I'm drinking one from a local brewery here in town, uh, Upland Brewing. They have a, uh, it's called Latitude Adjustment. Latitude Adjustment. It's a pineapple coconut pale ale. So wow, that's yeah. a first of all, that's a great name, Latitude Adjustment. Right. Uh, secondly, I love those fruits. Is it is it fruity or is it tart? It is. It's sort of fruity. Um, it's it's kind of tropical tasting, like a mix between like a pina colada and a, and a beer. If that sounds good, that sounds great. <laughs> I would totally drink that. And, and you know, latitude adjustment. I feel like really kind of goes well with your book, Confident Humility. And I think our, our listeners will see that as we talk about it in a little bit. Um, That's a great segue, though. Holy <laughs> <cow>. <laughs> but before we get there, 
Uh, one of the, the things that we like to do on the podcast is give people a chance to tell a really bad pastor's joke. Oh, now, yeah. you're technically, uh, you're, you're officially not a pastor, although you preach and you, you do theology and you teach. But, I, I, you know, as a wordsmith and a poet, I wonder, do you have any jokes that you would like to share with our audience? Yes. Um, you know, it's not a good one. But I suppose that's sort of the point. So even better. My biggest fear is that you've probably already heard it. That's that's my fear. But <laughs> that's okay. I the, it's just uh, you know how Moses bruises tea. How he bruises it. Oh, <laughs> but I'm sh- we'll have to find a sound effect well, for that. One. You know, you know what's funny about that is the reason why I have that joke is because I used to own some tea stores, and um, and so I used to always look for tea <laughs> jokes, and so that was one of the tea jokes I found. So it it serves multiple functions. So tea. Uh, theology, Bible, all sort. That joke is is very valuable. So, so uh, what do you call somebody who um, studies uh, tea for a living? Hmm. Someone who studies tea for a living. I give up. What is it? A theologian. Oh man, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Well, this has been another installment of really bad pastors joke. Dan, let's talk a little bit about your book, Confident Humility: How to Become Your Full Self Without Becoming Full of Yourself. Uh, how did you decide that you needed to write this book? Well, um, you know, I—that's I, a good question. I, I think that I was really frustrated because, as as a young Christian, I mean, I grew up with a mom. We we weren't very religious at all, um, and by not very religious, she thought church was sort of a scam and um and i kind of found church through high school youth group and um and it was one of these churches very pietist church and they didn't really have a lot of deep answers for things and they just kind of wanted to you know just have faith and and just kind of uh dwell in the community and how could how could faith not be true look at how great this is you know having a potluck together and stuff like that and um and and it was really great. And it was really important for me because you know I kind of grew up in sort of a troubled uh, home, you know, because I just had a young mom who uh, uh, had to work all the time, so she was gone, and I didn't really know what a normal family looked like. And so yeah. the church was really really great for me because I got to see how these normal families operated, and and I really opened my eyes to see what was possible for a life, you know. Um, but the church also had this very very negative view of human nature, <laughs> and I mean it was just like. Every you know, it, mostly it would come out in like these sideways sort of ways where you know people would be praying, "Oh Lord, I'm a despicable sinner, and you know I'm worthless, and I'm just you know so lost, and I'm so small, and I'm just a a speck of dust on the creation." And just the, it was almost like this contest to see how lowly they could portray themselves. And everybody would kind of give amens and nod an sure. affirmation. And I just I had a really hard time with that because you know I was I wasn't really a theologian then, but. Even then, I saw, you know, this is totally different than what you see on the paintings on the wall, where Jesus is walking around, and everybody around him is smiling, and is they're full of life, and it's like, nothing about this says loathsome, despicable huh. sinner, and I just felt like there was a disconnect there for me, and um, and I just kind of gnawed on that for a long time, and it just didn't seem right to view myself so low. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, it was the weirdest thing, but this was in the early nineties and self-esteem was like all the rage and, <laughs> and it was like all through school Our teachers taught it. And, you know, it was, you know, athletes would promote it. And after school specials were about the importance of self-esteem and self-esteem was sort of given the opposite message, which is, Hey, you're fantastic. You're not loathsome. You're great. <laughs> and, uh, and so I kind of got felt pulled in these two different directions and, um, and, and underneath that, were these two different views of human nature one mm-hmm. saying that you know was this belief that we i am despicable and right. the other one is the exact opposite i am fantastic and mm-hmm. with that as your as your presumption it it totally changes how you view the world and it totally changes how you make decisions and mm-hmm. it affects everything and um and in particular um you know, the one view that says that we are despicable, if that's really true, then our enemy is pride and we have to get rid of pride. Right. Uh, and the other view says that, no, we're great. And if that's true, then our enemy is shame and we have to get rid of shame. <laughs> and what ends up happening, Thomas, is like they, they each kind of view the other's enemy as the hero. And so, right, right. you know, so you get this ditch of smallness, which says that we are terrible and they end up nurturing shame which right. is the enemy of the ditch of bigness and the ditch of bigness ends up nurturing arrogance. And so yes. I just felt like this, there's no way that, that either one of these could be true. And, uh, and so that's where I, I found uh, the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 23 to be so liberating and so refreshing because I feel like it offered this solution to the problem. Uh, it's kind of solved this where um, uh, it didn't, it, it, the presupposition of what Jesus teaches in Matthew 23, this is basically Matthew, 23 he's he's about to give the seven woes to the pharisees so he's just about to open a can on these guys and just unload on them and um but before he does that he kind of says this is the foundation of their problem they lack humility and in doing that he kind of articulates what his view of humility is and it presupposes a view of people that's different than either of the ditches and in in being different uh it it's different in such a way that it sort of takes the power out of both shame and arrogance or pride. Yeah. And and so I just feel like this solves so many problems because the ditch of bigness and the ditch of smallness and the shame and the pride associated with it, it leads to so many different problems. And so if, um, if, if your view of human nature was right and it could also simultaneously take the power out of shame and arrogance you you kind of take the power out of the enemy's hands you take the the power out of a lot of dysfunction and so yeah. it's it's just such a in my mind it's such a powerful uh paradigm shift in terms of viewing uh human nature and viewing people and so forth and so i felt like i, I have to write this so that's a great reason and also a great summary for the book um and, and i actually i really i, I think you know, you, you say it so nonchalantly, but um, most people, I don't think reading Matthew 23 surface level are going to come away with with the insights that you bring from it, right? When somebody, when I say, what is the, you know, the, the most prominent passage on humility in scripture, uh, you're probably the only person I know who's going to be like, oh, well, you know, Matthew 23. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Which, which is great. I mean, I think I think it's very cool that you were able to draw this out of it. I actually, I want to read the passage. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that but let you... me just say one thing before sure. you read it. Sure. The reason why I think this passage is key is because 
he says to humble yourselves at the end of this kind of tirade that he goes on, which in my mind suggests that uh, this is the conclusion of what he's saying. And so whatever he's saying before this is sort of like his definition of what humility is. And 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 that's why I, I think that this is the most um, illuminating uh, on humility, because I think he ties everything he says before um, Matthew 12. He ties to humility, in my in my opinion. But yeah, yeah. Well, um, so the, the, I'm going to read, it's sort of a long session, uh, but it, it gets everything. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Um, Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it, but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect uh, in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all students, and no one uh, and call no one on i'm sorry and call no one your father on earth for you have one father the one in heaven nor are you to be called instructors for you have one instructor the messiah um the greatest among you will be your servant all who exalt themselves will be humbled all who humble themselves will be exalted and so you sort of you take this this and i love the the thing of the ditches right jesus says don't call anybody else rabbi and you don't be called rabbi, right? So yep. don't, don't overexalt other people um, and debase yourself and don't overexalt yourself and debase others. And this is sort of where you get your two ditches, right? So, so tell us a little bit about um, the, the ditch of smallness and the ditch of bigness. Yeah. So, um, well, the, well, there's a oh boy, where do I start? Let's see. Um, well, a couple things. First of all, the ditch of smallness. Uh, I, I think this is what's really hard when you say humility is the answer, uh -huh. because each of the ditches sort of have a view of humility, and so they will say, "You're darn right, humility is the answer." But the problem <laughs> is, is that their view of humility comes from the 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 preconceptions of their ditch, and so it comes with the same flaws and the same problems. And so, um, uh, and so, it's really important to understand how what Jesus is saying is different than what the ditch of smallness says, especially because in Christianity, that's what we're going to hear mostly is the ditch of smallness. Um, and, and so, um, so you asked what the ditches are. So, really, what the ditches are fundamentally are these different views of human nature. Um, it, it's this idea that that. Uh, the ditch of smallness says that pride is our enemy and we need to think of ourselves soberly. And uh, the ditch of bigness says that shame is our enemy and we need self-esteem and positive thinking. And um, and ultimately, Jesus will will kind of, in this passage, I think, argue against both. Um, but in particular, the ditch of smallness, because this is what we hear most of the time. And if you look at any, if you could buy any book from a Christian on what humility is, they're going to all kind of echo the same definition, which is humility is the opposite of pride. And that seems very compelling because it's hard to imagine a person who's both humble and prideful. <laughs> and so it seems intuitively, yeah, that seems right. But the problem is, is that the opposite of pride is shame. 
It's not humility. And so it, wow. it, it, it can't, it, humility can't be the opposite of, of pride because unless God wants us to be ashamed, uh, it, but that was like the curse of the fall was shame. Mm-hmm. And it's, to say that we need to be that is sort of to say that God wants us to have that curse. And that that's just bizarre. Uh, and so what Jesus is saying is, is a little bit different, but it's an important difference. What Jesus is saying is that humility isn't opposite of pride. It's contrary to pride. And um, the the best analogy that that I found is um, is pacifism, and pacifism is the opposite of winning a war, and it's also the opposite of losing a war. It, it's it's not it has nothing to do with war. It's like the opposite of war itself. And so, in the same way that that you know, winning a war is opposite of losing a war, pacifism opposes the whole stupid thing. Nice. And and in the same way. Uh, the opposite of pride is not humility. The opposite of pride is shame. And humility opposes both. Humility opposes that force that that begets both shame and arrogance. And um, and that just opens up so many things from a discipleship perspective. And and I mean, right off the bat, if 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 humility is the opposite of pride, well, then suddenly the only way to grow in humility is to think less of yourself. And that's why you get people who are just tripping over themselves trying to outlittle each other. And they're just kind of like almost, it's almost like a competition where they, they just say these just debased things and I am just this scum of the earth and a wretched stain on God's good creation and I'm a burp <laughs> trapped in some fool's throat and just like all these just, how small can I portray myself? And But, but if... if uh, if humility is contrary to pride, well, then suddenly um, humbling yourself might not only mean thinking less of yourself, it might also mean thinking more of yourself for some people. And and that seems weird. It because does. I mean, that, that's set, we, we've been so um, enculturated and almost indoctrinated to think that humility equals smallness, that, that to think that humbling yourself might be thinking more of yourself seems counterintuitive. But... But I think you demonstrate really well that it's actually not. Um, yeah. One yeah, of the well, things. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Things... And Jesus, and that's why we find Jesus. He he um, kind of tears down the arrogant, and uh-huh. he builds up the the depraved and the humiliated. That's and right. so he's got this kind of lift these people up, tear these people down. And that's the same thing that the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul tells us to to challenge authority when when they're arrogant and to build each other up. And um, and that would be silly to to be called to build each other up if humility was the opposite of being built up. I mean, that's Man. just so. That's a great point. Well, I love the way that you. I love the analogy. One, the two ditches, because just it, it makes such good visual sense and it sticks with you. Um, but two, the idea that that humility is that middle road, and the way that you point out in the book that actually both pride and arrogance and self debasement are both wrapped in insecurity. That's right, because right. because we don't often think of um, pride or arrogance as being somebody who's being insecure. We think of them as being over secure. But you sort of argue that that's actually not true. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, in psychological circles, it depends on which which um, kind of model or paradigm of psychology you're looking at. But I think it's I think it's a pretty common uh, understanding in professional psychology that things like narcissism and um, kind of egoism tend to be like 
overcompensations for insecurity. It's 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 such a and I've I've worked with maybe four or five pure narcissists because I I work in mental health and wow. um and I've it, it, they're really hard they're really rare to find a pure like a real legitimate narcissist. There's a lot of people who are arrogant, but like a, a actual diagnosable narcissist they hardly ever find cause to go into the hospital. So you don't run into them very often. <laughs> That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. But, but what you find is that those people tend to be terrified, absolutely terrified of being humiliated and, huh. and being in experiencing shame. And so it's like this cognitive game that they play where they just, they puff themselves up so much that they sort of try to insulate themselves from any possible shame. And they sort of, delude themselves into their own greatness as a way of protecting themselves from any possible feeling of, of that thing that they fear so much, which is humiliation and shame. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so, so humility is, is not thinking too low of yourself. It's also not thinking too high of yourself, but it, it's right down the middle. Well, and uh, it's not, it's not a balance though. And that's key Okay. because in the same way that pacifism is not a balance between winning a war and losing a war, Good it's point. just against war itself. What humility is, is it's, it's, it's based on a different understanding of people. And, and I think and this is my hypothesis is that, you know, the ditch of smallness says that people are bad. And the ditch of smallness says that people are fundamentally good. And both of these ditches have this fundamental view of people's goodness or badness. Um, I think what Jesus says is that we are neither fundamentally good nor fundamentally bad. We are fundamentally loved. That's what we fundamentally are, is we're fundamentally loved. Uh, that is secure. We are secured in that love, and, and that does not deviate at all. God has unsurpassable love f for each of us. Mm. And—, and, um, and and goodness or badness is sort of this extra thing that that God sort of puts in our lap, and He that's sort of our responsibility. Mm. Uh, you're loved whether you become good or bad, but <laughs> it's up to you whether you become good or bad. And that's why you see in all the parables, you have some people who, uh, you know, there's a person who represents God, and then there's people who represent us. And mm -hmm. in a lot of these parables, whether it's the landlord or whether it's the judge or whatever, God goes away. And then he comes back to see what we did with what we were given. And and I think that's exactly what we find ourselves in. We, we, we are fundamentally loved, and we have the potential to be either good or bad. And and that's sort of the weight of our responsibility, and that's the sort of the existential crisis of being a person is that we have this tremendous responsibility. And um, But w whatever we choose, the lovedness, that's the, the being loved is what uh, uh, we are fundamentally. I love that. So if you if you could define humility um, in, in one sentence, how would you define it? Well, um, that's a that's a really good question. I think um, before I just define that, I have to just point this out, which is um, there's another part in that passage that is, becomes very important, and that's when he's saying, "Don't put anybody above you, and don't put anybody below you." And in the middle of that, he says, for you are all brothers and sisters. Mm. And since he's talking about putting people above you and below you, um, I think that what he's he's making it very clear when he says you are all brothers and sisters, he is saying that you have this profound equality. And and this idea that some people are ab above others and some people are below others, that's a lie. The truth is, is you are all brothers and sisters. Mm. He doesn't say, pretend like you are brothers and sisters. <laughs> he says that you are. It's reality. Which means that... 
to view others as better than you or less than you is unreality. It's hmm. it's a it's a delusion, huh. and and I call this the delusion of inequality, and and that's sort of like what humility is fighting against. And so, yeah. given that, I think um, how I would define humility is uh, it's an understanding of yourself as being loved by God, and living that out. Um, you know, I don't know. That's maybe that's not a good way. You know, I've never written it in one sentence. That's a that's a what? tough challenge. But I, I, I would it have to it would have to be something like that where it's understanding that that you have unsurpassable worth and that you also have this unsurpassable equality, and then living the implications of that out because it, it's interesting. The if you really do have unsurpassable worth, and if I have unsurpassable worth, and if Nick has unsurpassable worth then th that by definition means that we are unsurpassably equal because if God loved you more than me, then my love would be surpassable. Mm. And, and, and which means that, that as soon as God says he has unsurpassable worth for people, that means we are also unsurpassably equal. And that just has profound implications. Man, that really is profound. What if I stated it like this in a, in a sentence? What if I said something like, uh, humility means making God your all without making yourself nothing? <laughs> I love it. You, you like that? <laughs> I, Except I, I, Go ahead. Oh, except that there's two parts of that. There's the the next sentence um, is the second <laughs> part of that. So that even that is two sentences. So. <laughs> uh, but that was one sentence, and I I, yes. I highlighted that one that actually comes yep. straight from your book, as you know. Humility means making God your all without making yourself nothing. And then the That's second right. sentence, like you say, it means becoming a full self without becoming full of yourself. I just That's think right. I love that it, it you know middle road without being a balance. I think that's a great way to put it. Yep. It's just a whole different way of thinking. Yep. Uh, well, and well, it's interesting because a people in the ditch of smallness, a lot of times what they'll say is, is they'll try to portray the self as small, as yeah. sort of a backwards way of glorifying God. Right. You know, as sort of, oh, God, you are so great, and I am just infinitely small and deplorable, and it's sort of like this... this uh, totally perverted way of complimenting God. And that's just, that's just dysfunctional. And it's, and God doesn't need that. You know, it yeah. doesn't matter how great we are. God's not like less great because we are good, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, uh, and isn't that actually, I mean, isn't that actually insulting to God? If God is the one who created us and made us and says that, you know, very good and formed it in his image for us to, to think less of ourselves than he speaks of us. Doesn't that actually insult God? Amen. Uh, I think you're right. I, think I, you're I right. mean, if, yeah, I've, I think of, you know, somebody comes up and, and says, um, you know, if some, I, I, if somebody says, oh, hey, that was a, um, you know, a great sermon. I'm like, oh, you know, that was, you know, I, I you know, and I, and I downplayed it. Actually, what I'm doing in that sense is I'm saying, well, you don't actually have very good taste, right? <laughs> yeah, somebody says, that's, that's right. a nice shirt. Oh, this old thing. Yeah. What, what I'm really saying is, well, you don't have good, you know, so it's the the false debasement is actually insulting to the one who made us and said we were good yeah um it, it almost makes god a liar <laughs> i think that's right i think that's right so you, I, you you say some things in here that i think are are brilliant um especially given you know we're, we're the synergist podcast it's it's no secret that we are in the uh um you know arminian camp the the wesleyan camp in terms of Believing that we have a response and how we build our theology and one future of things, future open theists that's what I call you. You know I'm close. I uh, <laughs> um, I actually read God of the Possible um, when I was in Minnesota um, and that got me thinking. Oh good. Um, yeah yeah. I'm so, sorry I cut you off though. No no you're fine. Um, but one of the, you say something in here you say sin should not be the foundation of our theology. 
Mm. Which, I mean, you and I know that there are Christian traditions out there where it really seems like like everything begins with sin, right? Absolutely. So unpack that a little bit. First of all, where do you see that theology most prominent? Well, I mean, I I think you look at Calvin's Institutes. I mean, you're Mm -hmm. looking at like a 1,200-page tome. It's like a three-book tome. I mean, it could kill you if it fell on you. It's this huge (laughs) thing, you know? And like the first chapter of this 1,100 pages, uh, Calvin says, look, in order to understand God, we have to understand ourselves, which is deplorable. And so he starts his whole entire rant on based on our deplorability. Mm. And and it just it, it's basically the reason why God, according to the Institutes and my reading of it, the reason why God has to control everything is because humans are so terrible and incompetent. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, and that's why TULIP starts with total depravity. It's the foundation of the whole thing and then once you start with total depravity uh the unconditional election the limited atonement just like dominoes it's like if you're really totally depraved then you can't choose god so god has to unconditionally elect you and if you're unconditionally elected well then jesus didn't die for people that god didn't elect that would be silly so the atonement must be limited to who god elects and so it all starts with that sin and i i just think that's a terrible terrible mistake I think you're right. Um, I think you start with Jesus after that. Yeah, there. Well, there you go. Sin should not be the foundation of our theology. You're right. That's where Jesus belongs. I think that's just brilliant. And then somewhere else, you say this. You say, um, you say. Let me find it. I want to quote you because it's. You say it so well. Um, Pull up this quote right here. I can't tell you. This is my first interview for the book. Yeah. I can't tell you how fun it is to talk about this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I mean, so glad. I, I really I, enjoyed reading it. Oh, good. Well, I, uh, that I appreciate even more. And I'm just <laughs> glad that, that people like it. So It's a, it's, it's a fresh perspective, um, especially drawn from Matthew 23. But, um, but the, the way that you, you just come at it, it, it's really fresh in a great way. Oh, um, that's great. You say, sin may be wholly detestable, but we are not. Uh, and I, man, that that's just spot on. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it, and it, I think it's such a it's such a biblical way uh, of understanding that sin is serious, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But that doesn't diminish who we are. That's um, right. And the re- part of the reason why I just love that so much is because the the ditch of smallness is right to view sins so carefully and so yeah. as a detestable thing. But they they inflate that to the self as a whole. And then the ditch of bigness does the opposite. They don't take sin seriously enough because if we're good enough the way we are, well, then I guess the sin might not must not be that big of a deal. And and that's flawed too. And and so. Understanding that no sin is very serious, but um, humans are still loved, and and so whatever role sin plays in your understanding of God and and people, um, it it can't trump our unsurpassable love, which means that it can't trump our capacity or our worth, our uns- unsurpassable worth, mm. and and uh, and I think that's so important. Oh, that's yeah, it is. You, you write this later on. You say, humility means putting the love of God demonstrated on the cross at the center of our self-assessments, at the core of our heart. Mm-hmm. With this love at the center, we're able to take sin seriously without sabotaging our self-worth and, I love this, our potential for 
good. That's At the right. same time, we can take our self-worth seriously without being ignorant of the reality of evil or ignorant of the sad potential that each of us has uh, to become corrupt. So in other words, you, right. you, you, you take both seriously. We really do have within us as image bearers of God the potential to do good. Yeah. Um, and the potential to become um, terribly evil. Because one of the things that always bothers me about total depravity in the Calvinists is you look around and there are not, people are not nearly as bad as they could be, right? <laughs> right. Um, and some people do real, genuine, good and beautiful things. And so, you know, when you when you say this to a Calvinist, you know, they always push back and say, well, total depravity is different than utter depravity, right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> right. Which it sounds like a weird semantic, you know, um, you know, like it's just a semantics thing to me. Yeah. Um, but that within us, we really do have potential to do good. And I think, as, as you bring out, responsibility to do good. That, mm-hmm. um, that we're s- sort of the... The ditch of of smallness. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it almost takes away um, any obligation we might have to become who God has called us to be. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And you look at like some people, like John Piper, would say that that's part of God's design because <laughs> by blatantly he says that you know if if humility he said this is a tweet that he he gave if humility were the result of reaching we would inevitably be proud of our reach and so by by design god has made it so that we cannot humble ourselves um and, and so yeah i mean it, it, and yet Jesus says, humble yourselves. <laughs> and so I don't know how you reconcile those two things because uh, you can't, it's, humility is like love. Other people can't do it for you. If other people does it for you, that's more like rape than love. And the same with humility. If somebody else does my humiliating for me, that's humiliation. That's not humility. That's mm. a totally different thing. And and so, yeah, it, 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 but I mean, it, it's weird because as soon as you, if you, come from the perspective that humans are bad and if you come from the perspective that humility is the opposite of pride you get stuck in these weird traps like that you mm-hmm. you can't help that that's one example where you know look if 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 i could humble myself well then i'd be proud of it and well that's just so perplexed then why would jesus call us to it um but that's the that's the trap and in fact uh tim keller says that i can't even think about humility without ruining whatever (laughs) humility i might have and again jesus says humble yourselves right how the heck should i do that how how (laughs) could i how can i humble myself without thinking of it and tim keller says that we can't we just have to hope that it grows in us and 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 that's where the ditch of smallness it leads to this passivity where sure. we just sort of wait around and we hope that God does good things in us um, but Jesus is so declarative and he's so commanding he right. tells us to do it and it's just the whole vibe that Jesus gives is different than the passive sort of I'm loathsome and I just need to let go let God and just wait for God to do it it's just it's I don't find that in Jesus's teaching anywhere he's so he's so proactive and so in your face about get you know get going on it um, but anyway yeah that's so I you... I love some of the the practical implications that you draw from this sort of intellectual premise that humility is both is opposed to both bigness and smallness. Uh, one of the things that you draw out is the the social ramifications of what happens when we start. Well, for I guess before we get to social, the, the personal, and, and you've hinted at this already a little bit. Personally, what this means is then 
I, I'm, I'm obligated now to view everyone else as a brother and sister, which means I can't look down on anybody. That's right. Right. I, I can't, um, I can't disparage anybody as worse than me, but I also can't, um, over esteem other people and view them as bigger than me. Yeah. Um, and so then you carry that into the, the social ramifications. And so what are the social ramifications? If we were all to, to understand this vision of humility, what would be the outworking yeah. in our communities and societies? Yeah. Well, let me just say a couple caveats first, because sure. as soon as, as soon as you say that we are all equal, um, people kind of get weird about that. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, that's communism or something like that. You know, they just get all freaked out about that. And, and so I just want to be clear that this equality has, is more about like, it's more about like social status. It's more than just like our social role. It's not about, you know, even, even, you know, do not call anyone on earth father, do not call anyone on earth teacher. I mean, in that very passage, Jesus calls the Pharisees teacher. <laughs> right. So he doesn't have a problem with the, the label teacher because right. he uses it all over the place. What he has a problem with is the exaltation that's behind the, the titles. And, and, um, and that's why he, he says, you know, you have to obey the teachers of the law. And so he totally uses that phrase, but then he looks at the behaviors of the teachers and that's what he chastises so aggressively. And so, you know, this, this, you are all brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean that some people aren't going to have authority over others. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, we all have to sell all of our possessions or anything like that. Uh, and certainly the disciples had sold everything to follow Jesus, but, you know, Jesus ran into all sorts of people where he didn't require them to liquidate their assets or anything like that. So yeah. equality is, is deeper than social role and deeper than finances. It's, it's, uh, it's on a totally different plane. It's, it's literally, um, just recognizing that everybody has this same unsurpassable worth and 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 we can say that but then the the practice of experiencing that when you're with these other bozos and a lot of them are really annoying and you have to say boy how you know how can how can i view this person as having unsurpassable worth when when they're so obnoxious or whatever you know right. and that's sort of what the work of love is 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 right. making that real um but i think the implications of this uh, become big eventually because i think that you know ultimately the whole point of of god creating us is is that we can have this eternal fellowship with him and um and that's sort of like advanced citizenship that's an advanced community it's it's not for amateurs it's <laughs> it's you know you can't you know you if you want to be greedy and lustful that's fine but that does not work in an eternal relationship right and so if you want to be um uh aggressive that's fine but that's not going to work in an eternal relationship so uh some of these things we're called to do not so that we're good boys and good girls like the pharisees thought but because this is what works in an eternal relationship and um and that's exactly what you find with this equality is that in in order for us to have um agape love in an eternal way mm -hmm. uh we have to understand this unsurpassable worth um that other people have if you believe in your heart deep down 
like beneath what you say if you believe that that some people are better than others and i think that we all have the inclination to think that and we have to sure. work ourselves out of that assumption because the world just teaches us it every time we turn around the world is sending us the message that some people are better than others and if you buy our product you'll be a better person and look at this wonderful person who plays sports and whatever i mean they're just all over the place um and if you if you have that assumption that some people are better than others it it messes with every single virtue um and love is one of them because right. you know even let's say you 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 you're with somebody and you think that they're just a, a prime specimen of what a human can be and they're better than you you're not going to feel like pure love for that person you're going to feel admiration you're going to feel like these other things and um um and if you if you really think that somebody is beneath you you're not going to feel empathy towards them you're going to mm. feel pity towards them right and, and, and so it, that's how like viewing some people as better than you or less than you it messes with these virtuous sorts of characteristics but the the more you grow into this reality that you are all brothers and sisters that you and I are brothers and sisters and so forth the the more all of these virtues sort of go into alignment, the more the gears kind of lock into place, and uh, the more this sort of agape love society can can flourish. Um, that's, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I'm going to quote you again from the book. You say, "In this way, humility is a campaign against the delusion of inequality. Mm -hmm. It's lifestyle warfare." against the principalities and powers that exalt some and denigrate others. It's a ministry of actively redeeming the oppressed and disempowering oppressors. Um, That's right. You know, and we're recording this. This won't go out until after Christmas, but we're recording this now before Christmas. And I'm, I'm reminded of um, the, you know, the Magnificat with uh, uh, Mary when she, um, uh, gets together with, with Elizabeth and she, she's getting ready to, uh, you know, give birth to the Christ child. And, um, she, she sings, uh, this song, Mary's song of praise Magnificat. And she says what Jesus is going to, uh, about God and what Jesus is going to do. He's shown his, uh, the strength of his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the mm. lowly. Right. I mean, oh, man, that's great. Right, right within that, th this is, this has been, sort of the the theme throughout the entire scriptures mm -hmm. of um you know god lifts up those are down he brings down those who are exalted to not not this necessarily um you know how harrison bergeron type yeah. equality right but right. but this everybody is of equal worth contributes what they're able nobody is is more worthy or important than anybody mm -hmm. else but everybody has has a role to play yeah. um and That's when beautiful. we when we understand humility this way, we get to be a part of doing that. So there really are there's social ramifications to this. If if we all thought this way, right, there would have been no slave trade. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, there would be no human trafficking if we understood humility in this way. Yeah, you need to have this view that some people are less than others in order to do that type of stuff. You can't. You can't consciously psychologically we have mechanisms in place that would protect us from doing those things unless we view them as not being human unless we view them as sub subhuman the sex trafficking and the slavery and and we have to do all these like mental tricks in order to convince ourselves to do those th types of things so that's absolutely right 
one of the things you say later on about um, what this does for, for us personally, you say, in humility, we can now engage life with total freedom without having to ask, what does this say about me or what will people think? Uh, you say we can stand easy around anyone because we have a deeper sense of self-acceptance that is not dependent on the appraisals of others. Man, I wish like every middle schooler could hear this. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because how much of, of what happens to us in, in middle school and high school and college and even in the workplace, I mean, in some sense, even the church, because we act a certain way because we think that that's how others expect us to and we and we seek their approval right well and and you have to i mean if and and i really believe this when jesus says you are all brothers and sisters what Mm -hmm. he's saying is that the idea that you're not all brothers and sisters is a delusion and and if you and i've worked with delusional patients for 20 years and (laughs) i just know delusional thinking very well and that's exactly what you find as soon as you have a false belief and you believe it passionately it's going to lead to strange behaviors and and one of them which is just makes sense if you really believe that some people are better than others you can't help but start to calculate where you stand on the hierarchy that's just a natural that's the next step oh yeah some people are better where do i stand and then how do I move up? I mean, and that's where you start to try to, you know, earn your worth and, and <laughs> hustle to in, yeah. increase yourself. So, yeah. and that's why, you know, the Pharisees, and it's, I just love this passage when Jesus is basically ridiculing them for wearing these big dumb boxes on their forehead <laughs> and having yeah. these long tassels. Yeah. And it's like, well, look at these strange behaviors. It's like, it's like the, the delusional guy with the tinfoil hat. It's just, <laughs> what the heck? So yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, you know, and so for me, I have very strong people pleasing tendencies it's just, I, I just I want people to like me <laughs> yeah. um, it, you know and I've always wrestled with that for as long as I, I can remember and I also remember like I I find myself envious of people who are so comfortable in their own skin that they just they really don't care what other people think not not in an arrogant sense right you know there right. are people who are arrogant and don't care what other people think but but other people they're so comfortable. They're so um, humble, but also self-confident enough that they're fine being weird around other people, and it's right. endearing. And I'm always like a little envious of them. And I think mm-hmm. what I what I see now is these people are people who have this version of humility, mm-hmm. um, and it allows them. They're just so they're so confident who God has made them to be. It allows them to be themselves mm-hmm. without this. Because I mean it. The desire to please people is really oppressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and I, I've, I think I've kind of grown up in a similar, from a similar source as you have, where that's sort of what I've grown out of. Yeah. Um, but definitely, it, they either have this type of humility or they have apathy, and and apathy and humility can look very similar, uh, but humility is different because apathy says, you know. Um, uh, nothing matters. Yeah. And so, but humility says, no, things matter, but your worth is secure. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and that, and that ends up in, in moments, they may look very similar because both the apathetic and the humble can experience a situation without letting that situation define them. And in that way they look similar, but the apathetic person also doesn't really, um, engage uh, life in the same way as a humble person will. And so, sure. uh, and I talk more about that in the book and, but just just the freedom that that brings it, it it's all the benefits of of the self esteem movement because I I mean I I think that I think that that was a necessary corrective to certain well at least it was 
it was a it was a pendulum swing. That's but right. But it, it brought about some good things. I think your vision and version of humility brings all the benefits of the the self esteem movement, without maybe some of the pitfalls. Yeah. Uh, that I can really think highly and well of myself, not because of anything that I've done or what other people think of me, but because of of who God views me. But how then that that frees me, I love the subtitle of your book, to be my full self. That's right. Because um, if not, I, I really do hide aspects of, of who I am um, and who God has made me to be maybe just because I want other people to like me. Yeah. Um, Amen. Amen. Well, hey, let me say this too. Um, yeah. You know, a part of another reason why I really like this model is that, um, uh, you know, because we hear so often that God loves us. God yeah. loves you. God loves you. And and for some people that just totally revolutionizes their life. Sure. And um and for me, I think I came to a point when I really believed that it did create a revolution in my life. Uh but for some people it just doesn't. Right. And and it, and that was very baffling to me. And I think part of the reason for that is uh, maybe it's because they don't really believe it yet and they don't really understand it. But I also think uh, we have a lot of other false beliefs that sort of sabotage this love. And um, I think both the ditch of smallness and the ditch of bigness are examples of those false beliefs. And and so really part of the joy that I have in, 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 in reading Jesus's model of humility here is that he tears down these two different obstacles. Uh, and, and the more we grow into that, the smaller these obstacles become. And I really believe the more God's love can flow the way it's supposed to and revolutionize the way it's supposed to. And, um, and that's, I think what I'm most excited about, about, uh, uh, the study. That's great. Um, so, Talk to me a little bit about the difference between security and confidence and how those are, are interrelated. Yeah, um, that was really helpful for me because, you know, <laughs> just a lot of different things where if you're in the ditch of smallness, you're not going to be confident because that's very pro-self. And, and, and so there's just like this inherent rejection of confidence about anything. And that's why you see a lot of these Christian guys who, you know, if they pitch a no hitter and the interviewer says, you know, tell me about this game. And they just, they can't even finish for the question being asked before they start saying it was all God. It was all God. It was all God. It wasn't me. It was all God. And it's like, well, no, it, it was you too. <laughs> I mean, you were, you, you've been working for 10 years in pitching booths and with pitching coaches and eating the right things and right. and you know and so that, that just seems so wrong and right. um uh, and then the ditch of bigness has has problems in the other way where you know they they feel like they're good enough the way that they are and so there's like this counter incentive where they're they're confident when they don't actually have any skills at all and and um and so the the idea of security being different than confidence is helpful because um security is ours it's we have security and if we feel insecure it's only because we have some delusion that we're still wrestling with because the fact is is that god loves each of us with an unsurpassable worth mm -hmm. and that means that our security is established in the same way that the the electron to mass ratio is established in the universe it's just a fact yeah and and, and so but there's nothing we can do to jeopardize that uh, confidence is very different confidence fluctuates it's it's different for each of us and and it's not based on our inner self it's just based on the things that we do and and um and so you know i have a certain amount of confidence in my ability to say throw a football which i happen to be very confident in <laughs> i can throw i can throw a football really well yeah um although it's been 10 years so maybe not anymore but, uh, <laughs> 
But confidence is is um, kind of based on what we do. It's not based on who we are. Um, and what happens in the delusion of inequality is it sort of sabotages everything we do because now everything that we do somehow reflects who we are. And, and because if, if some people are better than others and if I can improve myself on that hierarchy by my performance and by the things that I do and how smart I am and how good I can throw a football, now suddenly everything has this extra weight. And this, I think, is what Jesus means when mm. the Pharisees tied up heavy burdens and put them on men's shoulders. It's mm. like all these dumb little tasks now suddenly mean more than they were meant to mean. Uh, learning how to play the violin is no longer just about learning how to play the violin, but it's about what does this say about me as a person that I can play the violin? And that's not what playing the violin is for. Right. And and so all of this extra weight sort of sabotages all of these tasks. Um, but in humility, when you recognize your security and you recognize that there's nothing that I do I can do that will change anything, it takes all that extra weight off. And I think the power of that is that now I can focus on my task just for what the task is. It's just playing the violin. You know, I just want to I just want to play good music and. And really, that's what we want. When we want to play the violin, it's not that we want to be confident at playing the violin. We right. just want to make good music. That's sure. it. And and if I if I give a presentation on, I don't know, the Synoptic Gospels, um, if I'm stuck in the the delusion of inequality, I'm going to try to impress everybody with how smart I am. But really, once you're humble. Now you can just give a presentation just to share what you know about the Synoptic Gospels. And it's just, there's so much more peace there. And there's so much more um, just joy in everything because there's not all that extra weight. And, uh, and, and to me, that's just extremely valuable. As a, as a competitive person, that's, that's been very helpful for me. I, I like that. I really like that. Um, we all have security. And from security, we can, we can work towards confidence. But if we don't have confidence, it doesn't have to undermine our security. That's right. We um, don't need it. We, right. You know, it's just an opportunity. It's a gift. It's there for us to, to pursue if we want, but we don't have to. I like that. Uh, so I've, I've, I've talked a lot about what, uh, what I like, and I really like um, almost everything. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to nitpick you on on one little sentence, and and you can you can push back if you like. Bum 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 bum. In your section on overconfidence, at the, at the very end, you say this. You say confidence without justification, without evidence, uh, is overconfidence, uh, and does us little good. In fact, it's not really even confidence. It's at all. It's just hope. Now, here's where I'm going to push back on you. Mm -hmm. I don't like the use of hope there. Because hmm. um, theologically speaking, I think that that hope, when, at least when you look at the way that it's used in Scripture, hope is a confident expectation of future good. Yes. Um, I, I wonder if maybe wish isn't, uh, isn't a better word. It's a wish or, hmm. or a delusion. Yeah, um, you might it, be right. Anyway, that's just... I'll think, think about that. that that's, <laughs> a, that's a really good point. I'll have to think about that. Um, yeah. Because you know, as Christians, we we are uh, we're rooted in hope, in that that hope is is an is an anchor, right? We mm -hmm. we confidently expect that to happen. Whereas overconfidence um, isn't like I, I might. One of the examples I use when I preach is um, I can't hope to be a seven foot two basketball player because that's not rooted in reality. I could wish right. that, but I can't hope that. Anyway, that's a good distinction because I mean, hope is sort of hope can be very justified, um, whereas wishes. I don't know. I mean, wishes could be more or less justified too. So I, I don't know what I'm getting at there, but sure. there's some type of hollowness that's different, and I have to figure that out. But yeah, I'll have to think about that. That's a good. That's a good point. 
So I think um, overall that was my uh, um, my only only pushback. So if it's if it's mm. one word, Dan, that's a pretty good book. Hey, all right. <laughs> um, so. You know, I'm trying to see here. Go ahead. Do you have any? Uh, well, I have to say this. Um, well, I guess there's a few things I'd say. The first thing is I know just listening to your last episode, and now obviously when people listen to this, there'll be a couple of episodes in between, but you and, and Nick were talking about Christmas movies and <laughs> um, and what the best Christmas movie is. Yes. And I, I'm just hoping to God that Nick was kidding when he said the, the Jim Carrey one uh, because it's obviously Die Hard. Die Hard <laughs> is obviously the best Christmas movie. So, I mean, I mean think of it this way. If you were stuck and there was somebody coming after you, who would you be more afraid of, the Grinch or Hans Gruber? I mean, obviously, Hans Gruber. <laughs> there you go. So I, yeah. So that's go. the first thing. The second thing is, um, if if uh, if if your listeners are interested in this concept at all, uh, and they're interested in the book, it doesn't come out till next spring, probably in May. Um, but it really helps supposedly if people pre-order it. So if this is something that you're, you're thinking about getting, I would appreciate if uh, if people pre-order it because it, somehow I don't know the math or anything, but I'm told that it helps the ranking of it when it comes out. So, uh, I would appreciate that. Um, uh, and so just to, uh, to help sweeten the deal there, this is a synergist podcast. A lot of our listeners, um, listen to us because precisely because, you know, we're more on the, um, non Calvinist camp. And so you have a whole, a whole section on, you know, um, how Calvinist theology basically leads to the ditch of smallness. So if you want to have some, some good ammunition to stick it to the Calvies guys, pre-order <laughs> this book. Um, but seriously, I, for anybody who's who's looking for a uh, a sense, a, a really biblically rooted sense of of self worth and confidence that, and again, I just I can't get over how much I love the analogy of the two mm-hmm. ditches falling in on one side the smallness and and oh woe is me and the other side of bigness and, and overconfidence. Dan, I really think cool. um, that you have nailed it. Oh, uh, that's awesome with with this analogy here. Um, so seriously, folks, um, it. If if you're interested in this, I know it's um, you know you uh, just past Christmas. You got Christmas gifts, but uh, it's the beginning of a new year. If you're looking for a new way to to look at yourself um, or or to understand the world around you or or to, or to live in it in a way that's meaningful and Christ centered, um, I really encourage you. And we'll put the link in the show notes to to pre-order this um, on Amazon. Uh, Dan got this uh, published by Fortress Press, by the way. So those of you who know anything about publishing know that's no small task. No. Uh, Fortress Press is is a is a major, um, majorly reputable um, hmm. press, and so. Um, well, they've been tough on me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm earning it. I am earning it. So I am working. I've I'm in my like. 104th edit so <laughs> <laughs> well it's it, it, it it's paid off Dan I appreciate mm. the uh, the review copy I, I'm a better person for having read it and I think anybody else who does um, will be as well is there anything else that, that we missed about the book that you want to make sure that um, mm. we get out you know there? there's so much in it and um, there's uh, at the end of the book there's these five tools that um, I, I, I tried to be as practical as possible and uh, and so sometimes the book can be a little abstract because I think it has to do with false beliefs and so there's a lot of cognitive stuff in there but then there's just like uh, these five very kind of counterintuitive ways that this plays out in ways that I think are have been really helpful for me and and people have said that it's been really helpful for them I've talked 
taught a course on this book for you know five or six years at, at Woodland Hills, and people have just over and over and over again come back to me to say that those those skills have been really helpful. So um, the in an interview that it can sound very abstract, and there is some of that abstract stuff in there, but there's also some very boots to the ground practical stuff. And um, uh, and please uh, anybody if you want to talk to me on social media, I'm like Thomas. I love Twitter, so I'm on there at all times, and and I would love to have more conversations with people. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm not very active on social media at all, Dan. Yeah, of course not. I've got of lots of not. important things to do. That's, you're, you're a stoic. Uh, you're a stoic. <laughs> that, that's right. I, I don't speak. Um, but uh, those tactics really are good, especially um, I liked in particular, tell yourself the truth. Oh, yeah. um, you know, to, to, and humility gives you the freedom to do that, right? That's right. You can, I can be honest with myself about both my shortcomings and my strong suits because I know that I'm rooted in the unsurpassable love of God displayed in Christ. That's right. Um, So I can, I can take, I can face my, my weaknesses head on, right. And and without letting them destroy me and I can build up my, my strengths and gifts to use um, in service to the community, the body of Christ being rooted in that truth. Yeah. And Hey, listen, that's where Calvinism and the ditch of smallness, it totally corrupts our ability to confess to God. Because if you're really viewing yourself as the opposite of, of pride, you're going to work so hard in in globalizing your sin and just mm. saying that you're a despicable sinner and you're terrible. And that's what your prayers are going to be like. And that's not confession. That's that's philosophy. It's self-loathing. It's self-judgment. But confession is all about details. What did you do? <laughs> Why did you do it? Yep. And it, it doesn't matter that you say that you're a sinner. We're happy for you. What What's helpful is, um, you know, my coworkers raised a thousand dollars to buy a smartphone and I stole it to buy cocaine. That's a confession. You know, that's what you can work with that. You can't work with, I'm a sinner. There's nothing to do about that. So I love that. Now, yeah. now I'm going to, you've got a couple of, um, graphic confessions in here that I, I don't yeah. want you to uh, read well, out loud just to yes, just so people read them and, and chuckle. Of course. <laughs> well, hey, and listen, and, and the graphic parts on that are serious because right. we have graphic things to confess. That's true. And That's and true. it's important to, to, to do that. And, and not necessarily to other people because, right. you know, we, we are still in a fallen world and, and it matters what we say to each other. But my God, at least be honest with yourself and with God. And, and if the ditches get in the way of that what a tragedy because that's what a, what an opportunity we have where we can confess our sins to god in an honest honest way and anything that gets in the way of that is of the enemy well that's wonderful uh it's such good you know intellectual and practical stuff uh in this book dan uh, it comes out do you have a you have a specific release date tentatively may 7th um but okay. i just got the book kicked back i have to make some changes on a couple spots so it'll be somewhere around may 7th somewhere around may 7th so this is a dan kent author of the forthcoming confident humility again we'll put the pre-order link in the show notes dan it has been such a pleasure chatting with you folks this has been another episode of the synergist podcast the most man-centered theology podcast on the internet by god's providence dan go ahead and stand for a couple of minutes i'm going to hit stop recording so this uh, uploads 